This morning I'd like to invite you to join me in Mark's gospel. I, uh, I'm even more grateful and amazed by the good news this morning. After seeing from this large perspective, covering over verses 121 to 36, that there's so much going on here. It's just a joy to be surprised and amazed at the teaching of Jesus. Even after following Him for years, even after preaching for over 20 years, to be amazed once again. That this is not tired and routine stuff. And I don't want you to dare think for a second that there's not something that we can't learn again from Jesus. This is, this is real. This is true. And this calls us out of a corrupt world. This calls us out of our routine. And calls us to be amazed at the authority of Jesus. So I'd like for you to join me. But first, I can't get into this without asking God for some help, and I ask that you would join me in that. Lord, I pray that you would make me able to share the things that I've seen and that we will all see it together and that it will call, call us to follow Jesus ever more closely. To see this so that we might repent so that we might change for the good, and so that we might trust in you more and more and devote ourselves in humility to your authority. Be with us as we participate in the living word of God this morning. It's in his name we pray, amen. So, to really get the, the feel of this, let's start at the end, all right? At the end of this long section of text, Longer than we're used to reading in a, in a sermon. I want to take you to this moment in the synagogue in Capernaum. It's been depicted a lot of ways in art. But essentially what you have is you have Jesus. You have a man whose hand is withered. Uh, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't function. There's something about his hand. Maybe he was born that way. Maybe it's a disease. Maybe it was burned. Maybe something happened to him in his life. But this this. This hand of his no longer functions. He's disabled. He can't work for a living. He's there in the synagogue with this illness, with this defect. And on this particular Sabbath in the synagogue, the scribes, and especially those scribes who are a part of the group of the Pharisees, are there to see if they can catch Jesus saying something wrong, doing something wrong, will he violate the Sabbath rules by healing this man? They're prepared. Because there's been a lot of squaring off between them up to this moment. And Jesus asks a question. And I want you to think about it now. You're there in the synagogue. You're watching all of this. Here's Jesus. Here are the Pharisees. You know where they're at. They stand out. They're different. They make it important to be seen as different. You've heard the news about Jesus. He's been out in the countryside healing, casting out evil. There he is. He was in Capernaum. You probably remember an earlier moment in the synagogue where he cast out an impure spirit. And you were amazed at his authority. And now here are the two authorities that you've ever known in the seminar. The ones who are traditionally your leaders and the one who seems to have the authority of God. And this man is there with 
a withered hand and you're wondering, oh, this, this isn't going to go well. Maybe being conflict adverse, you're just nervous. You're like, I, I don't like this. I don't like arguments in the synagogue. Maybe you're just ready to see it. I wonder how this is going to play out. Whatever your feeling is, you see this there. And Jesus, before He does anything, asks a question to the scribes, to the Pharisees. What is authorized on the Sabbath? What is permitted? What is proper on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? And understand that in just saying the word to do, the Pharisees are going to cringe at that. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, they're thinking. You're not supposed to do anything. Yeah, but to do good or to do evil. To save a life or to destroy a life. What's appropriate behavior on the Sabbath? Now before we go any further, let's go back and ask, how did we get to this moment? Brent, I want to ask you a favor. As I go through this and read, can you advance the slides with me? That way I don't have, because this is going to be a, 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 an extended reading. And I don't want you getting nervous about this. I want you to engage in this, and I'm going to try to make it as, as real and as, and as meaningful as I can. So let's take a look at this. Um, Mark's Gospel would be the best option for me. Starting in verse 21, chapter 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her. He took her by the hand. He helped her up, and the fever left her. And she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but He would not let the demons speak because they knew who He was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where He prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else. To the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, 
driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was moved with sympathy. He reached out his hand and he touched the man, the man with leprosy. He touched him and he said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once, but with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests, offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But instead, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer even enter a town openly, but stayed outside in secluded places, and yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, Jesus entered into the house of a man of Capernaum. Uh, or again, Jesus entered into Capernaum, and the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Because some of those Pharisees were probably thinking, well, I do wish he had used the right words there. It might have made things a little easier. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So, Jesus said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up. He took his mat. He walked out in full view of everyone. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the sea. A large crowd came to Him and He began to teach them. And as He walked along, He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow Me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed Him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees too, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, "Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners?" On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were at that time fasting. Some people came and they asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. 
No one sews a patch of unshrunk garment onto an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear even worse. And no one pours new wine into an old wine skin. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour the new wine into new wine skins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along with him and they began picking some heads of grain. Then the Pharisees said to him, now, now look, why are they doing what is unauthorized on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is only authorized for the priests to eat. And he also gave some of that bread to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made because of people. People were not made because of the Sabbath. So then, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Once more, here we are, once more Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a withered hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason, just looking for a reason to accuse Jesus so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, get up here among everyone. Then Jesus asked them, what is authorized on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or destroy a life? But they remained silent. Jesus looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their obstinate, stubborn hearts. And then He said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees, at that moment, went out and began to make plans to plot with the Herodians how they might destroy Jesus. You're going to want to take a picture of this because you're going to want to come back to it. This is a map of what we've just been through. Really the only main slide you're getting today. I know it's a lot. I'll post it up on my social media later, but well, when I mapped this out, let me tell you, I see something here. Eight moves that take us from a synagogue moment to another synagogue moment. That in the first instance, they're in that synagogue in Capernaum, before the Word has really gotten out on Jesus, Jesus is just preaching at this point. He's proclaiming that message. He had been in the wilderness. He had faced Satan and Satan's demons and he had faced the the fear and the terror of the wilderness and stood up to it for 40 days and the angels of God were there to minister to him and he goes from there back into the world preaching the message the time has come the dominion of God is near repent believe in the dominion of God trust in the dominion of God it's the good news of the rule of God over this broken, fractured earth. 
So he goes right into the synagogue, the gathering of God's people, to preach that same message, to talk about it. And in the midst of that, an impure spirit shows up, an unclean spirit. You wouldn't think that such a spirit would go to the synagogue, but now the same forces that Jesus had the showdown with out in the wilderness, now they're coming to His home. Now they're coming to His turf. They want to get into a debate. What are you doing here, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? What have we ever done to you? And Jesus won't have any of it. Some of your translations are pretty benign. Jesus says, be quiet like he's shushing someone in a library. Now let's not talk when the preacher's talking. That's not very nice. Maybe I'll be quiet. You know, that kind of a thing. When really it's a rather direct command. It's like, quiet! Leave that man alone. And it happens. There's no struggle. It just happens. And the people are amazed at what? His authority. Did you catch that word? What was it? Authority. And that's the word you see tracking all through this. All of these episodes. Authority. 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 They go to Simon and Andrew's house. Simon's mother-in-law. She's, she's ill. She, she can't she can't show hospitality. She can't welcome them because she's ill. She's got a fever. And when He heals her, the fever leaves her. Just like the spirit, the impure spirit, leaves that man alone. The illness of the fever leaves this woman alone. Authority. And then we get a little summary statement there. This is point number three. The Word gets out on Jesus. People are saying, okay, listen, that authority is there. And the teaching of Jesus isn't just, hey, that's great ideas. He tells a few good stories. People say, it changes reality. So they're bringing the demon possessed. They're bringing their illnesses. They're saying, we we need this authority. We need this authority to change our lives. Church, if we really believed in the authority of Jesus, if we really did invest ourselves in it the way we're meant, we won't, we won't have to worry about going out there and trying to you know, reel people in. Come on in here and be a Christian. They'll come to us. They'll come to Jesus. We just need to point the way. We're just the ushers to the dominion of God. But we've got to be unafraid to say, hey, hey there's the power that can save you. There's the power that can heal you. Instead of trying to be gatekeepers on everything. Jesus, though, is determined to preach. Because without understanding that this is all happening because of the dominion of God, then Jesus knows that the people will just treat this as a magic show. They'll just treat this as some sort of miracle fest. And and He wants them to know the message and that the message, the, the good news of God, has the power to alter reality. So that takes us to number four. And it's very important that the leper, when he comes to Jesus, says, he must have heard the preaching. I'm convinced that the leper heard the preaching. Okay? You need to ask me, how do you know that? How do you know that? Well, good. Good, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. How do I know that? Thank you. I've got some interactive. I'll tell you how I know it. Because the leper says, if you will, You don't ask somebody if you will and you know they're not able to do it. You don't ask somebody, hey, 
could you donate to my charity? Oh, well, I know you're broke, but could you donate? You don't do that. You go to someone and you ask them if they will, only if you recognize their authority. If you will, what this leper asks is a request of one in authority. If it pleases you. Notice that the man is on his knees. If it pleases you. He's heard the word of the dominion of God. He knows who Jesus is. And that's why Jesus is moved with sympathy because he says, I will it. I will it. This man recognizes that Jesus has the authority to make him clean. Unfortunately, he's not completely obedient. Fortunate for us, unfortunate for Jesus, because Jesus says, now don't tell anybody about this. He can't keep it to himself. Weren't you a leper once? Oh, yeah, yeah. What happened? Well, okay, there's this guy named Jesus from Nazareth. How can he not talk about the authority of God? But he does. And because of that, then, that takes us to point five. You can't even get into the house. And yet, people recognize the authority. They recognize the power so that these men bring their paralyzed friend to the house. They dig through the roof. They destroy property to get him to Jesus. Can you imagine if people were trying to you know, bust down the, the, the doors just to get in to be with Jesus? That's how exciting these times are. And why? Because of the authority. And so he says, your sins are forgiven. And this right here at number five is when the scribes finally lose it. They blow the whistle. Blasphemy charge. Blasphemy charge. It's like, what? We're healing a man who's paralyzed. These guys dug through the roof. I know, but the words that you used were not accurate. You shouldn't say that you're forgiving sins because nobody can forgive sins except God. Which then Jesus and the others who are in the know are sort of asking them to finish the sentence. If only God can forgive sins and He's forgiven sins and the man's going to get up, then that means dominion of God. We've got, you know, it's like, uh, well, I'm sorry, we've got to use the right, let's, let's just use the right verbiage. Because if we use the right verbiage, then we know we're safe, okay? Okay? Let's not, let's not. So they call their blasphemy charge and Jesus says, what would be better for you? What would you prefer? Do you want me to say your sins are forgiven or do you want me to say get up and walk? Because the effect is going to be the same. And you're looking at the formula of the words and you're missing out on the power and the authority that those words create. So that takes us to number six. Jesus walking along. Jesus, whenever he calls someone, notice this, he's always walking along the sea, walking by the water, out teaching. He's teaching again. Hey, here's Levi. He's his son Alphaeus. Yeah, but he's a tax collector. Ooh. That's a bad profession. It means he's into all kinds of dirty dealing. That means he's lined up with the enemy. That means he's lined up with pagans. He is not only fellowshipping error, he is dumping down in, jumping down into it and, and, and just you know pouring it all over his head. I mean, he's wallowing in error. Not just fellowshipping with it. Jesus says, hey, come follow me. And he does. And so do others. 
And so when you ask people to come and follow you, what do you do? You, you, you sit down, you teach them, you meet with them, you eat with them. That doesn't seem like a big deal for us. But if you're a Pharisee, it does because this is why the Pharisees show up. Not just the scribes, but the scribes who are Pharisees because the Pharisees' whole, their, their, their whole modus operandi, the reason why they do everything they do is to say, look, now we're different. We're peculiar. We need to look different from everybody else. We can't have people thinking that we're okay with tax collectors. We can't have people thinking that we're just like everybody else. I mean, because after all, you've got those types like, like the Herodians. Oh, if, if anybody was ever going to get a Pharisee upset, it would be a Herodian. Because a Herodian has just given in to the whole Greek culture, they, they've bought into this power structure with the Roman emperors and Herod's kind of a fake king. They've forgotten everything that the Maccabees ever fought for. They're just an embarrassment to us and our nation. If they had cable news back then, there would have been a Pharisee channel and there would have been a Herodian channel. And all they would have done is talk about how the other is so rotten. So sitting down with a tax collector, that's just, that's just not right. So the Pharisees now issue a purity violation. Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? He's fellowshipping with them. He's involved in their error. To which Jesus offers a few parables. Number one, if you're a physician... You've got, to, you've got to be among sick people because those are the ones that you've been sent for. You've been sent to, I mean, you can't be a, a doctor and complain about all the sick people. It doesn't make sense. He says, now, let's talk, talk about everyday stuff. You know, you don't take unshrunk garments and put it on old clothes because then it'll just, they don't match. They don't match up. And most of us are saying, I've never had to worry about unshrunk garments and old clothes. No, you probably haven't. The point is there's an inappropriateness. And the point of the new wine is the one that might make the most sense of us because he's saying, look, you got fresh wine, it's going to, you got fresh wine, it's going to ferment. You've got to put it into a new wine skin so that the wine skin and the wine can mature and it can stretch out. But if you put it in an old wine skin that's already all stretched out, then when the wine ferments, guess what? Boom, it's going to blow up the wine skin. You're going to lose everything. You've got to do what's appropriate. You've got to take the fresh wine, put it in a fresh wine skin. He says the problem here is, this is the message that he's sending to these Pharisees. You are trying to take this newness of the dominion of God, this authority and power, and you're trying to force it into your old categories that do not work. And when we do that, we deny that there is any power whatsoever. Did you know that you can read Scripture that way? We can read Scripture as if it's a dead letter. Now we're going to read through all this Scripture, and I want you to know now that most of this stuff in here, well, it just doesn't happen anymore. That most of this stuff in here just doesn't really apply. In fact, that first half over there, forget it. These Gospels, forget that. All right? Good stuff. Good background. In fact, we need to go right here, this one little sliver of the text right here. And that's really all that matters. You get that down, you got it all down. And you know what we've just said to people? You know what we've just said to ourselves? We've said most of this doesn't even matter. Just a few little texts and you get those right and you're going to be okay. No wonder we don't have any expectation of the Word of God having any real power. 
to change people's lives. Because we've just boiled it down to a stain and then we tell people, here, drink it. How does that work? We've got to look into it and see that this same Jesus is the same Jesus who's coming back. It's the same Jesus who, is dom- who has dominion over us and His authority is the same. And the same power that raised Him from the grave is the same power that saves you and I. And so, here come the Pharisees again. You might think that the disciples, this is number seven, are just walking along, having a little snack there, picking some grain. Hey, you know, been a great day. You know, a little snack. Oh, these are great. I love natural food. No, this is food for them, okay? There's no such thing as organic, gluten-free, GMO, and everything else. This is just food. And they're hungry. And it's the Sabbath. Now, according to the Pharisees, if they were really followers of Jesus, and if they really wanted to be righteous, they would have picked their food on Friday and carried a lunch with them. They would have been prepared so that they wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath because we all know that's a big no-no. So they've had it. Sabbath violation. Blow the whistle. Foul. Yellow flags all over the place. Here they come. Sabbath violation. Look at what they're doing, look at what they're doing. They're doing what is not authorized. The problem is the rules of the Sabbath say that this is not authorized. This is not the way you're supposed to do it. So Jesus comes back with these statements. Number one, how about David? He wasn't authorized to eat that bread. Well, he's the king. Yeah, well, then he gave it to his friends, so what about that? All right, we could argue about that all day long. But how about we do this? How about we re-understand the Sabbath because... The Pharisees are not for the Sabbath. They are just anti-work. It's just like a cappella. You know what? We are not an anti-instrumental fellowship. Not at all. Sometimes we act that way. Sometimes we behave that way. I mean, we'll, we'll mumble and sing praises through gritted teeth and maybe even shut up during a song because we don't like it. But hey, at least we're not offending God with a piano and a banjo, right? That's anti-instrumental. And that's not going to cut it, folks. We've got to understand that it is right and appropriate for us to give praise to God. Now whether we sing in four-part harmony, Gregorian chant, or we just sort of pull the ripcord and let loose the best we can, it is right and appropriate to praise God with our words, with our hearts, with our minds in ways that not only praise Him, but it encourages one another. That's why preaching is really kind of a form of singing, and singing is a form of preaching and proclamation. It's all worship. But if all you are is, well, we're just, we're just anti-instrumental, then you, you've missed it. They were anti-work. They were not all about the Sabbath. Jesus says the Sabbath was made To make people better people. People were not made to be forced into your rules for the Sabbath. And by the way, if there's any other discussion, Jesus says, how about this? The Son of Man is Lord. I've got the authority even over the Sabbath. Underline it. Well, I think that's just a bridge too far for them because now they're ready. And this is the last one, number eight. We go back to the synagogue. You see how we went from synagogue to synagogue And the first instant in the synagogue, you had an impure spirit, and now you've got the purity police. You go from the impure spirit that can't 
help but obey Jesus because He has dominion over evil. He's the stronger one that John talked about. You go from that to the purity police who say, we are the keepers of purity. We are the keepers of what is right. You do not get to heal this man on the Sabbath because that's not authorized. Do it tomorrow. Do it on the first day of the week. Guy's not hurting. He's not in any pain. We can wait. And it's at this point that you see it. I don't know if you caught it. Jesus is angry. Jesus is angry. And he is disappointed. How did it come to this? Because instead of respecting the authority of the dominion of heaven, instead of respecting the authority of the Son of Man, they are questioning His authority. They are questioning the authority and they have evidence over and over again from their Scriptures and from their experience that Jesus is the one who heals and casts out demons. And yet they want to call a violation of the rules. And the whole time they're doing it, they're looking straight past this man who has no use of his right hand. Now, why does Jesus ask the man to come up amongst them? I mean, isn't that a bit embarrassing? Aren't you, aren't you, making, aren't you asking him to step out of his comfort zone, Jesus? It's because Jesus wants them to see their brother, a fellow child of God, made in God's image, who deserves compassion. And not someone who needs to be burdened by their sensitivities. So Jesus asked that question, you tell me what's appropriate on the Sabbath. Is it appropriate on the Sabbath to do good? Or is it appropriate on the Sabbath to do evil? Is it appropriate on the Sabbath to save a life, or is it appropriate on the Sabbath to kill a life? Well, they're not going to play. They're not going to play Jesus' game. They're not going to answer his questions. But you know what they do when they leave there? They do evil. They plot to destroy a life, the life of Jesus. And of all things, they will violate all their principles and join in with their mortal enemies, the Herodians, to do it. Legalism creates a people who have a constant criticism of others, especially others who are just trying to do their best to follow Jesus. The impure spirit is bad enough, but at least it will respond to the authority of Jesus without any hesitation. But because God has made us in His image, He has given us hearts that can either be turned over to God or hearts that can be obstinate and stubborn. Watch out for it. We don't dare look at the Pharisees and judge them, but we need to look at them and say, I hope I'm not doing what they've been doing. When we worship the system, the rules, and the traditions, rather than worship the living Jesus, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. When we trust more in our ability to know the rules instead of trusting in the faith in Jesus, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. When we fear being disfellowshipped more 
then we trust in a genuine relationship with Jesus. Beware of the, fellowship, of the leaven of the Pharisees. When we set our standards in our ability, and when we have our security in our narrow interpretations, believing that we are right and all others need to see it the way we see it, rather than trusting in the authority of Jesus, who still has the power and authority to show us and tell us, this is right, this is wrong. If we don't come to Him with the humility of the leper who got down on his knees and said, whatever you will, then we need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Where there is no grace, it's replaced by a self-made confidence that may look like repentance and dedication, but it ends up becoming the kind of inappropriate behavior that would do the most obscene things on the Lord's day. May God help us not to do this, especially as we come together on a day like this, going to His table. Will you pray with me? Father, make us clean. We know that You are willing. Make us clean. Teach us how to listen to Your teaching and to be amazed by the authority of it. That You might have Your way with us. That in Your grace, we are amazed at how Your teaching and how Your grace restores, redeems, overcomes evil and illness, overcomes shame and disgrace. Teach us to live like Your Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the King of Kings, the One with authority. It's in His name we pray. Amen.